Over the past few days, we've probably all had mixed emotions on the COVID-19 pandemic. We recorded this episode before things reached the craziness that they are today. Recently, a listener wrote in, and Eric and I felt we should read what he had to say. He says, This podcast brings a bit of normalcy to life these days, and taking photos, for that matter, brings some normalcy to life as well. In Northern California, and probably like the rest of the country and world, we're on lockdown. All I wanted to say is thanks for keeping it real and providing a voice of pleasure during these times. If you use photography to keep you happy through stressful situations, just be smart and safe if you plan on shooting through it. Doing the podcast doesn't require us to hug and handshake, fist bump, or even elbow bump, so we'll be here for you, keeping our social distance and keeping you mildly entertained, we hope. We want to thank you so much for listening. It really means a lot to us. For now, just know that we really love doing this podcast and we really love you all for listening. Take care of yourself, take care of others, and remember to wash your hands and stop hoarding toilet paper. Also, get a bidet. Rolling, take one. Is it going to be Hello and welcome to All Through a Lens. This is the podcast about film photography where we discuss a little more than just film photography. I'm Vanya. And I'm Eric and we got yet another show for you. It's episode 14. It's March and that means, among other things, Girl Scout cookies. We're really into Girl Scout cookies. We've got a deep dive into the history of Girl Scouts and photography and we'll give a call to Kate Miller Wilson. You may know her from her static electricity photos. There's some news some scene reviews, a bunch of other stuff. First, Vanya, how are you and what the hell are you doing? Yes, um, I have been doing pretty damn well. No, that's a lie. Remember when I said I wasn't sick anymore and I was feeling better? Yeah, you said you were feeling a lot better in the last dev party. Yeah. Yeah. I got sick again. Yeah. It's not coronavirus, oh, everybody. Okay. I am not. I do not have that. No fever or anything. So you're not sick now, though? Uh, no, actually, I feel a lot better. Okay. I took like two days to just like do basically nothing except drink water and sleep and Netflix. And be cranky on the couch. Oh, my God. It was so amazing. <laughs> Except that I haven't really been shooting much. And also, I just want to mention, we've kind of had a crappy winter as far as like swell goes and waves. But you got out and surfed like a couple days ago, right? did. I wasn't expecting much and the wind turned offshore and the tide helped and it was just absolutely amazing. I had such a good time. I wanted to stay out longer. All of a sudden I turn around and like six people paddled out at one time. So I figured that was my time to leave. (laughs) Yeah, I I get that. When people show up, it's it's a good cue to just get the hell out. Well, where I was, I guess it was really... A good spot because all six of them paddled and they were right behind me. Wow. So yeah, but they are behind you as they should be. <laughs> How about you? What have you been up to? I've been shooting a little bit, kind of going out here and there during yes. the the week and during the weekends. Uh, a couple weekends ago, I went to the Northern State Mental Asylum, which is also called the Northern State Asylum for the Criminally Insane at some point. The part that's open to the public is what used to be the dairy farm. The hospital closed in like 73, and the hospital buildings and all that are still standing, and I'm pretty sure they're 
some of them are still used for job core and some of them are kind of just empty and I don't think you're allowed to go near them. Unless you're like a ghost hunter, then you can oh, go in them, right? Sake. Yeah, they have ghost <laughs> yeah, they do ghost tours and that bullshit. Yes. <laughs> but the buildings I was in were the old dairy farm buildings and it looked like kind of a war zone, like a blown out war zone in a lot of ways. It was an interesting shooting. I've shot there once before. And I've liked it. And I think I want to go back. But it's been like three years. So I'll give it another three years. So I guess that's kind of been it, really. I'm looking forward to the future, doing some trip planning, kind of the preliminary stages of that. And we will be talking about that in episodes to come. Yes. Yes. But for now, let's super quickly talk about things to buy. Yeah. We have tote bags. We do have tote bags. <laughs> Yes. You might think we'd make a pun about this, but we totally won't. No, totally won't. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. we have them. We <laughs> they are hand screen printed by Eric and are available for pre-order on his Etsy site. Link will be in the show notes and on IG, blah, blah, blah. There'll be about $13 plus shipping and all the money goes back into the podcast. Along with the tote bags, I've also been making a slew of ECN2 kits. Now, that's the color developer used for motion picture film. I use it for all of my color, like even the C41, actually, especially the C41. It really saturates the colors in the emulsion. You'll get the developer and the bleach with the kit, and you can use whatever fixer you've been using for black and white. I use Ilford Rapid Fix, and it works fine. Uh, each kit also comes with instructions and some tips. Uh, also, if you've got any questions, uh, I'm more than available and very quick to answer, usually. I'm, uh, I'm selling these kits for $18 a pop, and they make a liter. All the money goes back into buying more chemicals and to cat food for Juniper. <laughs> the link, again, will be in the show notes. All right, so we are going to talk a little tiny bit about Kickstarter. Uh, we haven't really talked about film news since like the first episode i think it was the I first think. episode yeah we talked about some people who yeah. died so i think we are gonna try to maybe like bring up some noteworthy things that are happening in the film community from time to time yes. so i just wanted to mention like the teeny tiny little hot shoe light meter <laughs> i forgot about the hot shoe <laughs> it's the teeniest tiniest little thing not very big at all not very big <laughs> It's called the Raveni Light Meter, and it's being created by an electrical engineer and photographer, Matt Beckberger, in Canada. Eric, do you have an opinion on this? It is something that is, uh, I think, probably going to be really useful to people who don't have meters already and mm -hmm. are wanting to use like older cameras that don't have built-in light meters or through-the-lens light metering. Yeah, or maybe broken or it could be broken, yeah, or new ones that need like those crazy ass batteries that aren't made anymore. And so we looked at the article about this on Petapixel, which it's like BuzzFeed for photographers. The comment section is a lot like if Breitbart did the comment section for a photography website. <laughs> I know they say never read the comments, and that's generally true, especially when it comes to politics. But when it comes to photography, it's just hilarious. <laughs> so there's some asshat on there named Tobias, and honestly, <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm sorry if your name is Tobias. It's a fine name, but every <laughs> no, Tobias is. is kind of horrible. I have someone named Tobias I have to work with, and he is awful. <laughs> I don't understand. So this guy is named Tobias. He seems to be like personally attacked by the very existence of this little light meter, which is bizarre. Uh, he suggests that everyone buy a Voigtlander VC light meter, which is about 30 years old and twice the price. Fucking brilliant suggestion. <laughs> uh, other folks on there suggest handheld meters, which is sort of not the point here. This is sort of a, a wide spot meter. Others call it a trinket. Some people are telling you to skill up and buy whatever the fuck their favorite light meter is. There's another Gruber insisting that we cowboy up. And I don't know what is with these people and the obsession of upping things uh they, to cowboy up and get a goss and luna pro and they a great light meter it's handheld and uh it's kind of a different function again but it's not small it doesn't go on top of the no it's just a light meter just like any other the whole point is that this goes on top of your camera right and it's tiny it's and it's just the tiniest. It's, it's, the whole point is that it's a tiny meter on top of your camera. So yeah. there's and there's another neckbeard moaning about the photo, like on the Kickstarter ad. Yes. The photo it shows the meter on top of a Pentax K1000, and the guy is whining that it isn't on a Leica, and he lists like an assload of Leicas that it should be on. That's just what a weird complaint. But really, if if you don't want it, don't buy it. End of story. Why shit on someone trying to add something to the photography community, especially adding something new and working to the community? Yeah. Oh, I'm totally going to back this. Good. I'm totally you getting one. And I'm totally putting it on Marley's camera. And it's perfect. It's great. Yeah. It's so great. Yeah. I'll probably use it too, but putting a light meter on like a beginner's camera. Yeah, on some cameras with the through the lens meter and you look at the viewfinder and there's like a little needle, the plus or minus thing. But this shows you like this is this is the F stop, this is the shutter speed. It gives them an idea of like what to do, where to set it, not just like click this ring till the arrow gets in the middle. <laughs> Okay, can we just get to the answering machine? No more complaining. I want to hear what people answered. Okay, uh, this time around, we asked listeners to call in with their answers to the question, is the camera and lens you choose as important as the film you choose? Now, this is a yes or no question, but we're hoping that people would expound upon it a little bit, and we were not even a little disappointed. Well, a little disappointed because we didn't hear from a certain special somebody. <gasps> I know my heart is breaking and your heart is breaking, but we will soldier on because clearly he has gone to Valhalla, I guess. <laughs> Smoking in the shower. It'll get you every time. <laughs> Hello, no one is available to take your call. Please leave a message after the tone. Camera choice is important when you're a thrift store collector like me. All your cameras have random sized lenses, different filter sizes, different minimum ISO. One thing that really gets me though, is that so many SLRs are set up not to do double exposures. That's an important consideration for me. Yeah. Yeah, in that case, it's the camera that's important to him. It makes sense. If you want to take double exposures, you need a camera that does that. There are some tricks that you can do, but it is kind of a pain. I like that he's like a thrift store camera collector. That's absolutely amazing. I feel like the lens and film are the primary choices a photographer can make when they're trying to find a tool to influence their creative vision or to portray their creative vision. 
the camera doesn't play a huge role in it other than just getting it out of the way or facilitating choices or the choices that one makes with the lens and the film. And I probably should have rehearsed this before saying it. Anyway, Jamie Maldonado, Jamie M. Photo, J-A-M-I-E, on just about everything. Thanks. I think he did a good job first try. (laughs) Yeah, he did a lot better than we do. Yes. That's a good counterpoint to uh, the first caller, Elgato. Whereas with him, the camera was the most important. He's saying, Jamie is saying that the camera is the least important of the three. Mm -hmm. It's all on what you're trying to shoot. Hey, guys. Uh, this is Alan, Alan Mill, under, Alan underscore Mills underscore photos. Uh, all right. Well, anyways, uh, I'm talking, uh, yeah. Uh, so the question was about film versus lenses and your camera rig. Um, I, I, so when I, I like to shoot, uh, concerts and live music a lot. And so a lot of our venues have, uh, crap lighting. So unlike my wittiness and my driving, everything has to be fast, fast film speed and fast lenses. So, um, in that case, there is no differentiation, but lately actually I'm starting to really, um, focus more on the film emulsion that I'm playing around with since I've been exploring different emulsions. But, uh, hope that is a good submission. Uh, yeah, good answer. Uh, I hope. Anyways, okay, bye. The very jazzy recording. Someone was murdering a trumpet. <laughs> so interesting, huh? And well, he does, you know, a particular type of photography. So, you know, fast film, fast lens. Fast women. That makes sense. I get it. I get it. <laughs> This is Suzanne Lopez at b.roll.backup. And to me, the camera and lens that I choose is definitely as important as the film that I choose. Every single one of my cameras shoots differently. And I don't really, I mean, yeah, I collect cameras, but I try not to collect cameras. I try to buy the ones that will give me a different look so that I use them all. And they all do that for me in the collection that I have right now. So depending on what I'm shooting or wanting to shoot or the effect that I'm wanting to get is how I choose what I'm going to take out that day. So it is important to me. When you're dealing with old cameras, they're all a little quirky. They all have their own little personalities and the images come out sometimes in a particular way. I have like weird specific things I like such as like borders or like some of the older cameras from the 50s, they have like the rounded edges, you know. Ugh, love those things. Is Bodhi okay? No, he's not. He's losing his goddamn mind. Hey guys, it's Jim Griffin again. Uh, James underscore Griffin on Instagram. Hey, I'd have to go with the camera and lens. Um, I guess more so because you've got more flexibility in getting the shot right because you can custom tailor what you need to do. Most films have pretty good dynamic range, so uh, no matter what, you're probably going to do pretty good no matter what film you pick. Um, I think of it more like bringing a knife to a gunfight. You're definitely screwed (laughs) otherwise. 
A knife to a gunfight. He's right in a lot of ways. I mean... You've been pushing the uh, Ultrafine 400 to like 1600. Yeah, it's my favorite. I mean, if we look at pictures on Instagram now and the emulsion, because everything is so small, it's not as important as it used to be. Yeah, unless you plan on printing them. Even like when we everybody was putting things on Flickr, it was still pretty important. Yeah, it's a little annoying because you see pictures too and you know they're amazing and you like try to zoom in and you're like, nope, it's not going to work here. I'm going to have to say absolutely. And the reason I say that is because if you're like myself and you're wanting to shoot portraits and you like them sharp and you like that shallow depth of field, you're not going to be able to pull that off with a Trip 35 or something like that. You got to give yourself the gear that will allow you to get the images you're trying to get. So camera and lens definitely matter. One of my least favorite words in the English language is the way that photographers use the word gas. I mean, seriously, I fucking hate it. (laughs) But I get the idea that you just need to have everything. And I honestly, I I don't, I've never felt that or whatever, but it's not my thing. I do know that like, for example, when I was at the Northern State Hospital, I wanted this, I wanted a certain look to this shot. I wanted the building to appear a certain way in the photo. And I had it there, but it was too close at my widest lens, 90 millimeter. And I was trying to back up, but I couldn't back up anymore because of, I think there was something deadly on the other side. It was like a cliff or something. I don't. I couldn't get back as far as I wanted to. So I needed a wider lens. I don't have a wider lens. So you sent me a link on eBay for a 50 millimeter. Did you get it? What did I comment back? I said, get it. You didn't even <laughs> click it. You didn't even look at it. Nope. Because I'm going to borrow it, obviously. <laughs> I think it's, I think you're enabling. <laughs> Hi, Alex here from Scally Takes Pictures. Um, so to answer the question, I... I don't just think that the camera is as important as the film, but also your subject would be as important as well. Because the film that you use, you know, you have a certain feeling with that film, you know what you're going to get with that film, but also with the camera. You know how, you know what to expect from both your camera and your film if you've been shooting with them long enough. So it's honestly more dependent on what you're going to shoot and what you know is going to get you the right feel for that shot. Yep. I agree with that too. Sunny day, cloudy day, black and white color. I mean, what are you shooting? Makes sense. Yeah, obviously. The the subject is the first thing to consider yes. when you're looking at your camera and your lens. Subject is number one for you. Oh, I think it's number one for, I guess it isn't number one for everybody, is it? It might not be. You got the gas people who... Just want to shoot the lens, want to shoot the gear. Yes. This is Derek in Virginia. And... uh I think that they're both important, but definitely film is more important uh, when making a choice. I think most cameras are pretty much about the same, unless you're doing something weird and kooky. Um, But yeah, film I definitely pay a little bit more attention to what I'm shooting, because of the film speed, whether I want color, black and white, um, expired or relatively fresh. So there's my answer. And uh, love the podcast. Keep on rocking. And fuck yeah, we do. (laughs) So rad. (laughs) Cult camera podcast. I've never heard of that. I want to listen. I believe it is new. It is brand new. Oh, cool. Yeah, Derek's. I've been talking with Derek for a long time. He is a really cool guy. He has a love for film that I also have. I, I think I've more in love with film than I would be with the gear. And I'm not sure why that is, but I know that I'm very picky about the looks that I get with the film. 
that I use. And I think we all should be to an extent. Like I said before, though, it is less important now with Instagram. So maybe it's just a, I don't know, a dying thing. Maybe all film will just end up looking the same. Maybe it'll all look like Revlog. Wouldn't that be fucking weird? No. <laughs> Thank you so much for calling in. We really appreciate it. I think this might be one of my favorite segments because we get to hear from you guys. It's important. This podcast, I feel like, is part of a very special community of rad people on a very strange platform. (laughs) Okay, so let's answer these. Eric, you go first. I've done two zines that kind of go together in a way. I did a, a zine about Kodak Veracolor 3, and I did a zine that featured photos from the Imperial Savoy. One was based on film, and one was based on the camera, and they're both very complementary to each other. And like I was saying before, you really need to consider everything. How does the camera treat the film that you're using? Like I can shoot, just for an example, Provia 100F in the Mamiya. You get like a beautiful negative it's or well positive if you want to develop it properly but you get a very beautiful image very sharp uh maybe a little saturated just kind of a very perfect representation of what you are seeing but you throw that same film in something like the imperial savoy which is a plastic 620 camera from the 60s the scene changes completely no more do you have like a very realistic photo but you have a photo that really feels like how it felt when you were there. It takes the images that it captures and it kind of morphs it into something that's a little surreal. Mm -hmm. And that's the camera that's doing it. But also you'll notice that certain emulsions do it more so than other emulsions. And I think slide film is one of those emulsions in this case. You do need to consider both of those. But like, what was it Michael on film was saying? Get the gear that gives you the photos that you want. And if that gear is a $20 plastic camera, fucking get that camera. So Vanya, what do you think? I think that choosing the camera or film is the icing on the cake for me. Okay. When I come up with an idea in my head, I can be very detailed and vivid. I am a huge daydreamer, maybe in a bad way. (laughs) You ever drive down the road and go, oh shit, I'm driving. (laughs) No, please don't do that anymore. Just like in the middle of the desert, you know, you just kind of like lose, you know. I, I have a feeling you're talking about like a freeway. No, 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 In no, LA. No. no, I bet you are. I promise. <laughs> I don't know if I believe no, no. you. So yeah, I, I will think of ideas as particular images I want to capture. But not only that, but me in that moment taking it as well. So like time of day, weather, uh, which camera definitely is all included in these daydreams. And So you don't think of an image, like the finished image. So this would be when you are not at the place taking the photo. Yes. Are you thinking of a specific place? Specific place or specific like desert, you know, some sort of landscape, water, okay. anything. Um, angle has a lot, like I, I've been trying to get like the sun going down and then getting the wave with the light infused into the wave. Sure. That's yeah. been like something I've been daydreaming about a lot lately. So when you're daydreaming, you don't think of just the finished image of the sun going through the face of the wave. You're thinking of yourself on your board or in the water with the camera in hand. Mm Mm-hmm taking that photo you're thinking of the whole process yes everything it's almost like uh meditation (laughs) i love it it makes me so happy Hmm. That's yeah. astounding. That's honestly really, really astounding. Does I mean, can we hear from other people? Do other people do this? 
<laughs> I don't mean just like daydreaming of being out there shooting, because that's not what this is. You're not just daydreaming of being out there shooting. You're daydreaming of shooting and the finished product all at the same time. Yeah, there's like specific shots that I've daydreamed over and over. And there's been times where I'm like, oh my God, this is that one. And I'll like pull over and I'll try to find it. I'll try to find that shot. That happens to me, like I'll be driving by someplace and I'll see a, a scene and like, oh, there's a photo here. But that's all spur of the moment. This is something you've been thinking about for how long? Oh, it could be forever. I mean, I think about uh, Kansas okay. and Nebraska a lot lately. Okay. Um, maybe on a daily basis. It's interesting because it's skewed because I've never been to these places. Um, I've seen pictures and I kind of know what to expect, but it's a little different than what it what the reality will be. But in my mind, I've already like come up with ideas of how I'm going to shoot it that are more my style than your style. Sure. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, guys, I'm a super weirdo. <laughs> are you though? I mean, do other people daydream like this? Do, other, do people envision your shots and envision you taking the shot? Do you do that? If you do, write in, let us know. That's something that I don't think I've ever really considered. I definitely don't do it. And sometimes it could be all together. I could be listening to music, daydreaming, driving down the freeway, oh, and envisioning the shot. <laughs> so are you daydreaming when you're shooting then? I don't know. I'm kind of like in my head a lot, like too much. I overthink. I'm over metering. Um, yeah, it, I'm a mess. You'll you'll see. <laughs> <laughs> So this episode, we're going to be giving a call to Kate Miller-Wilson. You may remember her photos. Recently, she's taken a bunch of self-portraits uh, using static electricity, and it's kind of gotten a lot of waves from that, and, and rightly so. Prior to that, for years prior to that, she was taking photos of her sons, some of the most moving photos I've ever seen. She's become one of our favorite photographers. Every time something of hers pops up on Instagram, it's always kind of, we always share it with each other. And I was like, oh, wow, this is really fucking good. So let's just stop talking and give Kate Miller Wilson a call. Hello? Hello? Kate? I am here. Yeah. Hey! So long day. How's the weather? It's all right. It's Minnesota. So, you know, it was like in the 30s today. That's oh. good. That's good for March. Okay. <laughs> oh. <laughs> So I guess the I guess we'll start off with the first question, which is the same question that we asked listeners to call in about for the answering machine. And that is, is the camera and lens you choose as important to you as the film you choose? It kind of depends on the situation. I think it's about, for me, the lens. So mm. it would be the look you want. You know, the lens kind of gives this soul to the image sort of what you what you're looking for at that particular moment. And that same soul would be throughout whatever emulsion that you're using. And of course whatever yeah. camera would take the lens. Yeah. Perfect answer. Yeah. <laughs> well, well yay. I'm speechless. <laughs> <That's awesome>. <laughs> <laughs> so you started shooting photos of your son about four years ago. How was your work with him changed like as he he's grown? I think that my work and my equipment have changed a lot during that time, but the experience of the kids really hasn't. I mean, my older son, Ian, is he's on the autism spectrum and he's he's 13, which is super weird to have a teenager. I don't yeah. know how that's possible, <laughs> but <laughs> he's... 
I, I keep waiting for him to get self-conscious and be concerned about how he's appearing in pictures. And he really doesn't worry about it. And I don't know if that's the autism or it's the five years of being photographed every day, but he's not guarded at all. And he's, he still isn't. So he's pretty much the same to shoot. Yeah. So on that, you've shot with like a DSLR and all of that for a, quite a while. And you've recently, sort of recently, changed over to not just film, but four by five. What made you want to make that change? I think a DSLR is a great way to learn photography. And so I ended up burning out the shutter on my Nikon D750 three times and (laughs) just constantly shooting. But all that time, what I really always wanted to do was was large format. So like two and a half years ago or so, I... I made the switch to um, to medium format and learned to develop. And then uh, when I was ready, I, I took the leap to large format probably about a year ago. I wanted to do it because there's, there's just really nothing else that does what large format does. It's like that 3D quality of, of the images and yeah. the camera movements. So you can play with a plane of focus and everything is so soft except where you want it to be sharp if you shoot close to wide open like I like to do. So it's just it's just awesome. (laughs) Uh, So I wanted to actually ask another question about uh, your son. I was does he have any input on the way that you shoot him? Do you kind of follow along on what he's doing and kind of capture it like just in the moment or does he like say, I want to do this or, you know, like put input in it. Yeah. My older son really doesn't. Ian is my older son. He really doesn't think about the photos like that. Um, my younger one does. He has really wild ideas, <laughs> which mm. is great. You know, <laughs> so we just try to figure out how to, how to turn that into a picture. But yeah, Ian, Ian doesn't really do that. I mean, for him, I think the photography is this time with me and we, you know, we can share that. And he, I let him talk to me about whatever he wants to at that point. And I mean, as a, as a good mother, I should let him talk to me about whatever he wants to all the time. But what he wants to talk about is 1500 different species of dinosaurs and all of their, you know, statistics that are associated and yeah (laughs) so So it's a trade-off so he does his special interest and i do mine and we just yeah (laughs) oh wow (laughs) i want to know more about dinosaurs (laughs) yeah you think you do (laughs) so uh the the you said that your your younger son has crazy ideas yeah what 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 are what are they well (laughs) you'll be like I I think you should, you know, photograph me as a cloud. And so, <laughs> so then I, I think about it for a while and, and I'm like, okay, you know, I here, you just wear this, this I try like get out the fiber fill stuffing from my sewing things and like make him a cloud hat by sewing it together. And then I put it on him and then I hang another cloud and I'm like, okay, you know, now hold really still and we do a picture. And of course, I, that's the kind of picture I have to like, pay for with a piece of candy because no <laughs> real human will do that but he, but he loves it when it's done so that's a collaboration that kind of stuff so lately you've been experimenting with how static electricity is exposed under the film i've had some 
some unintentional experience with static electricity. <laughs> <It's kind> of, <laughs> yeah. When I was rolling uh, some bulk film a little too fast, I got some lightning bolts here and there. I never thought about doing it purposely. So how did you come up with that idea? I saw online uh, someone's image with like a mistake of static, you know, just mm-hmm. as an accident in, the, in development. And then I, I thought that was just really fascinating that that could happen and that it could happen on a regular picture and it would I just I kept thinking about how that might change the character of the picture or like what it could show that isn't obvious like you know when you do a when you do a portrait what you're going for is some kind of emotion and it doesn't always have a name and it doesn't always it's not always completely obvious what it is but that's how you connect with the viewer I think and I was interested in the idea of being able to use static to show that, to sort of make that visible, what makes a portrait compelling. And there there are some photographers who do use static to make like abstract images. And then I was just like, could I do it? Could I do a double exposure with that? And then I'm an obsessive type of human. And so I really that's all I did for a couple of months. <laughs> my, my children were like, like my six-year-old would like use a Wimshurst generator mm-hmm. to create the static and my six-year-old would like crank the handle for me. Oh, while I cool. it, so. <laughs> that's amazing though. That's so sweet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, your static photos, they, they really come across very intentional, which I think is the point. I mean, you're, you're purposely using the static to convey a message. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of happy accident involved, but you do seem to have a really good handle on how it interacts with the image. So how do you go about like kind of nailing that? Because you're nailing it. So how do you do that? Well, <laughs> I, I only post the ones that work. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> so I would figure out where I was and then I would have to remember that I had to turn the image upside down and backwards mm-hmm. because I would be looking through the, oh. the ground glass on the four by five. Can you manipulate the the like various static patterns and their looks? Yeah, kind of. It might go where you want and it might not. It sort of will like slide off toward the edge of the film and you don't really know which way it's going to decide to slide. Like, okay. It, so you you can kind of like start it in one spot, but it doesn't stay there because it's a spark. So it needs to go somewhere. But you can kind of pick what shape it's going to have. Some of the things I did would be like if I wanted a fireball, I eventually figured out that if I just held it in one spot and it just repeatedly shocked that spot, then it would it would create that kind of like that look. Oh. Then other times you could I could drag it like between the the contacts and it would create kind of a line that could be used for like a division or it was kind of it was interesting or like if you really get it going it'll do like this loud crack and then there'll be a big lightning bolt. Oh wow, <laughs> but, oh, that's so cool! But you don't get to pick where it goes. Oh. <laughs> but that that bright you get. And then like one of my favorites was I figured out that if I got the film wet it would make a huge mess <laughs> because the, because it's like what you do. With pre-soak it's just like running off like it's just kind of gross <laughs> but but it didn't really want to go through the water it took a lot more shocking but it would make these like sparkles like stars yes and, I, I yeah i've seen really some fun. of those on yours 
set your image up and you're obviously trying to portray a specific thing. So you kind of go into it, you have like your negative mark and you're doing a certain pattern to represent the specific idea of the image. Right. Like I would, I would take a post-it note and stick it to the film holder on the side, one on each side depending on where I wanted to shock and make little notes on there. Nice. So then I just basically would try to try to get that. It's, I guess, in a way, it not working perfectly every single time just makes when it does work perfectly that much more satisfying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's always a surprise. It's like, you know, I pull the film out of the rinse and I'm like, what do I have here? And, you know, there's usually one thing that's, yeah, that turned out really well, or it might have turned out really well. <laughs> but, yeah, and exposure is hard, too, because, you know, every time the lightning cracks or the static cracks, it's exposing the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you do too much of it, it ends up overexposed. If you don't do enough, it doesn't really look like anything. It's It just takes kind of messing with it. Do you feel your photography helps others relate to you and your emotions better? <laughs> That's definitely part of it for me. I mean, I think what artists want is to connect. If you can connect with other people and share your perspective, then you're succeeding. I'm a like a serious introvert. I have a lot of social anxiety in real life. Like, like I was I was telling my husband about talking to you guys, like I really wanted to be able to say fuck because oh. you guys are awesome. <laughs> like, <laughs> but I can't because I, because every time I do, I pause first. Okay. And then I like, that doesn't sound right. When you say fuck, you can't do that. Photography doesn't pause, right? It just like photography just says fuck. It doesn't, it's just raw and real and it's vulnerable. And it's just a way to, to communicate and connect. It makes it easier, I think. I think most photographers are like this usually, you know, not exactly super extroverted, but more kind of like standing back and viewing, viewing the world and photographing the world in their own way, what they're seeing, you know, and it's kind of like a way to to get out there and not have to be super social. I don't know, you, you can kind of hide behind the camera, but you're also putting yourself out there as this is my view. And I think you should look at it. Eric, I think we're organized this time, and we have the question for next episode already. Yeah, surprisingly enough. The last question is going to be the question we asked listeners, actually from the Girl Scouts handbook. The one from 1920, which will be playing a role coming up in the episode. So the question is, what constitutes a good picture? I think it's simple. A good picture forms an emotional connection. If it does that, it wins. Perfect. There we are. (laughs) (laughs) There we are. (laughs) So, Kate, if people were looking to see more of your photography, where would they head to? Um, My Instagram is just Kate Miller Wilson, and that's where I I post pretty much every day. Also, if anybody's interested in my project with my son who's on the autism spectrum, our book is called Look Me in the Lens, and it's on Amazon. Nice, and we'll have links for all of that on the show notes as well. Awesome. Thank you so much, for coming on and talking to us about all the amazing things you're doing right now. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thanks. And thanks for having me, you guys. I am honored. Oh, no, it's been amazing. No, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Mm. Thanks, guys. Yep. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It's no big 
secret that the Girl Scouts are pretty rad. Everyone knows a little bit about them, of course. They earn badges, go on awesome trips, they explore science, get outdoors, and do a bunch of community service projects. What makes them even more badass is that they support LBGTQ rights and accept trans girls into their ranks. They're also at the front of the movement driving gender equity in the workplace. And right now, they're also in front of your nearest grocery store selling their amazing cookies. And before we get into this, I'm going to just open up a, some Thin Mints here. And, Ooh. Um, mm, nothing yeah. like that first Thin Mint. Mm. The first, yeah, there's really nothing <laughs> comparable to the first Thin Mint that you've had all year. <laughs> nothing like it. <laughs> so you're probably wondering why we're talking about Girl Scouts on a photography podcast. Well, the Girl Scouts have been really into photography from the very beginning of scouting. The Girl Scouts were founded on March 12, 1912, and before the decade was out, they were encouraging their scouts to pick up a camera and shoot. In episode 11, we told you about box cameras. You'll remember that ad slogan for the Kodak Brownie. You press the button and we do the rest. This phrase entered the public lexicon and that included the 1920 Girl Scout handbook, Scouting for Girls. This first handbook released 100 years ago, remember, 100 years ago, states, you press a button and we do the rest is the slogan of a famous camera firm. And really, it seems as if this might also be called the slogan of modern times. We have only to press a button nowadays and someone will do the rest. Photography wasn't exactly the main part of the Girl Scouts, but from the very first handbook, it was mentioned and there was a badge for it, or as they called it back then, special medals or merit badges. The Girl Scouts awarded these badges for a variety of activities from bugler to beekeeper, sailor to stargazer, horsewoman to hostess, and farmer to photographer. As with most medals, the scout had to research a topic on her own, do a few projects about it, and would then be awarded her medal. With this early handbook, there is almost no additional instruction for photography. It gives the scout over a dozen tasks to complete and sort of leaves her on her own. She's given a list of books to read, including How to Make Good Pictures by the Eastman Kodak Company and Why My Photographs Are Bad by C.M. Taylor, which is maybe the best title for photography book ever. I think I should read it. <laughs> I think we all should read it, honestly. <laughs> I've read it a bit. It's actually really good advice. Oh, I'm it's sure. It's still really good advice. Armed with this and only this, she'd work her way through the task and show her proficiency to the local council, who would then award her the photography badge. In this case, an embroidered view camera on a tripod. To achieve this badge, the scout would have to accomplish these 14 tasks. Now, before we get to the 14 tasks, I'm going to have a... Another cookie here. So, um, Vanya. Yes. Uh, the last episode of Dev Party, we talked about your favorite, your favorite Girl Scout cookie. Yes. What is that? Samoas. Samoas. Yes. Okay. To uh, we asked our listeners to write in and tell us what their favorite Girl Scout cookies were. And to be honest, it's pretty much exclusively Samoas. <laughs> We've got Samoas too, please. Samoas. Samoas. Samoas, I see those two are you, so thank you. <laughs> Samoas for sure, Samoa. Samoas all the time. Uh, we have two votes and just two votes for Thin Mints. And I didn't, I didn't vote in this because I'm trying to play fair, but we do have Thin Mints and another little mention of Tagalongs. You know what? I like Tagalongs as well. So not a Samoa fan. Sorry, guys. But <laughs> you know what? More Samoas for you. Exactly. 
So these 14 tasks the scouts had to accomplish, we're going to go through them. The first one is submit six good photographs, interior and out of door, taken, developed, and printed by yourself. Or 12 good photographs taken by self, including portraits, animals, out of door, and indoor subjects. Two, what constitutes a good picture? Three, give three rules to be followed in taking interiors, portraits, and out of door pictures. Four, name and describe briefly the processes used in photography. Five, tell what a camera is and name and describe the principal parts of a camera. Six, what is a film? What is a negative? Seven, what position in relation to the sun should a photographer take when exposing a film? Eight, should a shutter be operated slowly? If so, why? What causes buildings in a picture to look as if they were falling? And Fanya, do you know the, the answer to that one? Um, they're falling. <laughs> yeah, I think. <laughs> or you're falling, maybe. I don't know. Stop taking pictures of falling buildings. Problem solved. <laughs> 10. What precautions should be taken when reloading a camera and taking out an exposed film? 11. What is an enlargement? How is it made? 12. What are the results of underexposure and overexposure? 13. What are the results of failing to take the proper camera distance, having improper light, and allowing the camera to move? 14. And lastly, if there is more than one method of exposing a film, what determines the method to be used? Well, most of these are pretty basic and in language that we don't really use much anymore these days. <laughs> a lot of the tasks are fairly advanced. But it was assumed that if a scout was trying to achieve the photography badge, she'd have a keen interest in photography. The Girl Scouts were becoming a bit of a cultural movement in the 1920s, and with it came novels. Think of it as sort of Girl Scout fan fiction. The Mountain series by Lillian Elizabeth Roy stands out and features a camera in more than a few volumes. Keep in mind, these were published in the early 1920s. The cameras were at best folders or boxes. For instance, in the Girl Scouts canoe trip, the girls wake up to a beautiful scene. Now, as they beheld it from their tents in the sunrise, they were deeply impressed. Marjorie was so eager to make the picture a permanent one that she got out her camera before she was fully dressed and took a snapshot. Marge, you're so energetic, yawned Doris, who was still buried beneath her blankets. Probably that's why you get all the prizes that are going, and I do believe you'll get this one too, she added. In another volume, the scouts were viewing a tall waterfall. Julie, who seems to be quite the know-it-all, told Hester to focus the Kodak carefully in order to get the entire falls in the picture. Hester replies, Now, Joe, how is that possible? The lens would have to be automatic and stretch way up, then down to cover that 200-foot fall. Mr. Gilroy asked where he could get a camera like that. Hester laughed. I don't know, Gilly, because no one ever patented that idea that I know of. I was merely telling Julie that the stunt of stretching the lens was impossible. Julie clarified her point, and then everyone else gave Hester unsolicited photography advice. But our Hester turned a deaf ear and kept her eye on the work in hand. Hence, the snapshot proved to be all right. The message of the scouts and the cameras is clear in these books. That certainly was a sight worth seeing, sighed the captain, but I must hang that camera about my neck day in and day out or I shall miss the best pictures every time. Cookies! Um, I think I should probably stop for another cookie break here. So I'm not eating cookies because I was supposed to save them for the recording, but for some reason they're already gone. Isn't that, isn't that curious? 
It's so curious. Did, did Marley <laughs> eat all of those cookies? No. Did uh, Did Bodie eat all of those cookies? Maybe. No. No. Um, I guess no. we'll never know. No, never. <laughs> who ate all of your Girl Scout cookies? <laughs> but you know what? It's an opportunity for you to go buy more Girl Scout cookies and support <laughs> a really good cause. Yeah. So I'll put the cookie down and talk now. Uh, over the years, the times changed and photography changed, like we all know about, but the Scouts changed along with all of that. By the time of the next major handbook, the Scouts had issued their own cameras, uh, made by Kodak and emblazoned with the Girl Scout trayfold symbol. The first camera came in 1930, and it was called the Girl Scout Kodak. This was a rebranded Kodak Vest Pocket Model B. It was a green 127 folder with a Girl Scout emblem engraved on the face. This was the same model used by the Boy Scouts. The Girl Scouts only stuck with Kodak until 1934. After that, they went with the Univex company who offered cheaper 127 folders. And then in the 40s, they switched again, this time to the Falcon Company. Gone were the metal folders, traded in for a Bakelite Argus A ripoffs, but in a 127 format. By the end of the decade, and after the war, the Scouts flipped again, this time to a 120 box camera produced by Gem. These were Girl Scout green and made of sheet metal. You can still find these pretty easily on eBay, and the prices are kind of salty. With the 50s came the long relationship between the Scouts and the Herbert George Company. We mentioned them briefly in the box camera episode. They later became known as the Imperial Camera Company, the same company that produced the beloved Savoy. For the Scouts, however, it was a plastic 620 box camera similar to the Sabre, the one that I broke. (laughs) Over the decade, these changed in color from green to black and added flash attachment. Soon, they were rebranding the better-looking Debonair, which is a really fun camera that I also have, and and eventually the Savoy Mark II. In the mid-1960s, the Scouts continued with Imperial, but moved to the 127 satellite, and then to the Delta and the weirdly ugly Cubics 4. But by the end of the decade, they, like much of America, switched to an Instamatic camera. That's Instamatic with a small I. These were not Kodaks. These were also made by Imperial, but were pretty okay as far as knockoffs went. The last official Girl Scout camera was the 1972 Imperial Instant Load 900W. After that, the girls were on their own. Yeah, I don't want these cookies to be on their own too much longer. Uh, all right, one last cookie because we're almost dead. One last cookie. Okay. Mm. We were like thinking about that. There were like, kind of a lot of famous Girl Scouts. We don't know if they were photographers necessarily, except for one photographer. And we're going to get to her in a second. But there was what? There was Sally Ride. Carrie Fisher. Uh, Mary Tyler Moore. Grace Kelly. Queen fucking Latifah. <laughs> There was also Margaret Bork White. She was a Girl Scout who became a photojournalist and war photographer. Her shot of the Fort Peck Dam was on the cover of the very first issue of Life magazine in 1936. Yeah, you did a little bit about her in stories like a long time ago, didn't you, on, on Instagram? Actually, when we first made the account, I think I I did do a story about her and I put a few of the pictures of her. It, she's amazing, honestly. And yeah. I showed you a few of her pictures recently. The one in the farmer's field with the farmer walking across it from the windmill. Ugh. Well, I'll have to share that one with you guys. It, it's a beautiful fucking photo. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> 
As the scouts went along and issued cameras, they also issued new goals to be met for the girls to earn their photography merit badges. For the most part, the basics were the same. Take some photos, prove you're fairly proficient, and you're good. In later editions of the handbook, the scouts interested in photography were encouraged to take photos of their scouting activities and join the photography community. The handbook from the 1950s assures the scouts, someone in your community knows where to get an inexpensive developing and printing apparatus and will help you and your troop. You can make parts for the apparatus yourself. Developing and printing is half the fun of photography. You know what? I kind of feel like that's still true. You think that's still true? Yes. Yeah? (laughs) Okay, yes, not everybody has like developing apparatuses, but honestly, film photographers are always willing to share the passion and love of photography, I would think. That's true. They're not as prevalent as they used to be unfortunately, but they're still out there. These days, the photography badge is still offered, though the requirements are a bit more thought-provoking than before. There are five requirements. The first Mm -hmm. is explore the power of photography. Or explore the power of photography. (laughs) Yes, one of of those two. (laughs) Two, focus on composition. Shoot five landscapes. Three, focus on light. Shoot five portraits or still lifes. Four, focus on motion. Shoot five action shots. And finally, five, tell a story with photography. Hmm. These are good. These are things we should just be doing. Yeah. <laughs> we should really like you want to you want like a, a 365 challenge you can't really do that because that's long and tedious and you end up hating photography at the end of it. <laughs> Maybe do the Girl Scout challenge. <laughs> yes. You know, do these things. And then just buy a badge for yourself and stick it on your jacket. <laughs> do that. Wrap this up for us. The Girl Scouts have produced photographers from the very beginning and are still making them today. While the photography badge doesn't focus much at all on film, as the film industry rebuilds itself, maybe the Scouts will find a place to fit in. If anyone could form a solid foundation for this community, it would be the Girl Scouts. Put the cookies down. <laughs> I So one of our favorite segments on All Through a Lens is zine reviews. We love zines. We've loved zines for a very long time. We love seeing your new work. We love talking about your new work. And of course, we like making zines ourselves. We like trading and all of that. So this episode, we've got two zines again. Vanya, what do you have for us? I have Ian Turpin's first ever zine, 13 Seconds. Ian explains in the first page of his zine that he had an intense winter, but even when things were super hard, he was able to get out and walk. He brought along his low ISO black and white film and his Canon AE-1. He decided to make a series of one second exposures and this zine is the result of that work. 13 one second exposures shot on ADOX CMS 20 or Polypan F. I am kind of blown away that this is his first zine. It's bold and hopeful because even after all the hardships and loss that he was able to put some energy into something really great. All the images are on the right hand side of this half size zine and on the left are the titles. Well done, Ian. I look forward to more of your work. To get a copy, contact him through his Instagram at Ian underscore C-T-E-E. Ian also has a podcast called The Ordinary Photographer. So you guys should check it out. 
So the zine that I've got is a really difficult word for me to pronounce. I know what it means, but it's very difficult for me to pronounce it. It's uh, periapsids? Periapsides? Yeah, I'm very bad at pronouncing things. So at re- regardless, this is a half-size zine. It's 32 pages. It's black and white. It's by Jason Conklin. He offers almost no words throughout it, uh, but a, it's a variety of shots taken on 35 millimeter and 120. Uh, well, he does many things right. The thing he totally nails is composition. You look at these photos and they're just fucking good. He's got a really rare eye and it's very much on display in this scene. Everything from buildings to nature to people, they're incorporated really well into the frame. It's a whole story in a photo. And while he obviously uses different emulsions and different developers, they've all got a really similar texture to them. There's a thread that runs through this. Uh, they're all very distinctly his. Uh, you can follow his work at Ninly1 on Instagram, and you can get the zine for 10 bucks on his Etsy store, and we'll throw the link in the bio then. And until then, you know, send us your zines. We really enjoy this. Yes. And that's about all the podcasts we have for you today. But just a quick note about the Spotify playlist that we've been doing. We asked listeners what they liked better, a brand new playlist for each episode or one single playlist that we update each episode. And the listeners have spoken. They apparently want one single playlist that we update every episode. But, you know, Vanya and I, we really like doing our brand new playlist for each episode. Even though this, we kind of pose it as a democracy, we're kind of still going to do our thing. <laughs> but we're also going to do the one single playlist for all you whiny bitches who don't like what we do. <laughs> That's why I don't know why you asked. <laughs> but we're going to do it. We, I think it's a good thing. I think doing the one single playlist is a good thing. Cause, cause yeah, they could just follow it and it'll just automatically update. Okay. And we really like doing the playlist. and want more people to listen to them because we think our music is better than your music. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah, I had to finally, like, update my Spotify and pay for it so I can skip through a few of your songs. <laughs> it's fucking mean, man. I know, that's so burned so I'm mean. sorry, don't. Just take that out. <laughs> so mean. Wow. Go on. I'm going to be over here crying in my thin mints. Spotify makes it nearly impossible to share anything, but you can find us on there. The red All Through a Lens logo is for the podcast, and the blue All Through a Lens logo is for the playlist. We've made a single main playlist that will update every episode. If you follow that playlist, you'll be updated automatically. Before we go, I need to remind you once again to order tote bags. Order all through a lens tote bags, as many as you can. Order one for your mom. She really wants one. (laughs) Order one for grandma. Grandma wants one bad. So please, all proceeds from that go back into the podcast and help us do some pretty cool things that we have in store for the summer. So we're really excited about our summer. You should be really excited about our tote bags. And don't forget about the ECN2 kits that I make. All right, enough promos there. If you'd like to contact us, we're at allthroughalens.podcast on Instagram. By email, it's allthroughalens.podcast at gmail. And we're allthroughalens on Twitter. Vanya is Surf Martian. And Eric is conspiracy.of.cartographers. Both on Instagram. And speaking of Instagram, make sure to hashtag your stuff all through the lens podcast to be featured. And also, if you shot the Slow Meow film, please hashtag it. Is it the Slow Meow or Slow Meow? You know what? Do both. (laughs) 
once. I've noticed, some people, I've noticed some people doing one and, and not the other, but do both, and we'll, we'll, we'll check both. We also do a Spotify playlist for each episode, so check those out and see what we're listening to. Just search all through a lens. And you can also find our episodes on Spotify, as well as on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and wherever the hell else you can find podcasts. Subscribe and leave us a review. The music you're hearing now is from Last Regiment of Syncopated Drummers, which you can find at lastregiment.com. Thank you all so much for listening. We will see you in a couple of weeks. Hey, Vanya. Yes? Do you want to go out and shoot? Fuck yeah, I do. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) There's like a train wreck in my mouth. (laughs) There's like like a car accident happening in there. I don't know what's happening. Oh my god. Oh shit. <laughs>